I have so many things I'd like to say. I know that scares you. And you're in a little bit of a captive audience because you're like, it's Saturday night and he, he's got a, a good bit of time before it gets dark, so he may keep us here for a while. We'll, we'll relax, it's okay. Um, it, ain't, it ain't like that, it's, it's going to be all right. Um, I am actually preaching to you a, a passage out of Romans chapter 8, and this passage, it is so rich and so pure and so amazing. I mean, the whole book of Romans is overwhelming to me. Um, I, I think about the Roman church and how bad it must have sucked to have been part of the Roman church. I mean, really, like, I, I'm, not, I'm saying the Jesus part was really amazing, but I'm talking about where they were and how bad it was. It must have been really bad. Um, you see, the way the Roman church was, this would be like us setting up camp, us taking a simple church and planting it in Afghanistan, right? Uh, we might fall under some persecution, wouldn't we? If we were like in Afghanistan and we were just having church and people might not look fondly upon us, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm hypothesizing, of course, I don't know for sure, but my gut feeling is we might be in a hostile environment. Well, the people that were Christians that were in Rome in that day and that time, man, they were in a hostile environment. As a matter of fact, like they came under such persecution at different points throughout their existence as a Roman church. You see, the reason they come under persecution, let me explain that first, is because if you were a Roman citizen, if you were a part of Rome, then what you had to pledge allegiance to was the Caesar. You had to pledge allegiance to the ruler, and, and that was like God to you, okay? You couldn't like have uh, you know, other gods and stuff like that, and that be where you pledge your allegiance. You pledged your allegiance to Caesar, and he was your God. He was the one that you really followed after, and you saw him as a God. And, and if you did not do that, you fell, fell under harsh, harsh persecution. Um, Nero is one of the guys that's kind of known pretty prominently about some of the stuff that he did. Uh, some of the things that you've probably heard, if you've ever been around church, you've probably heard that one of the things that Nero did was to take Christians and dip them in wax and then burn them like a candle. And that he would burn their, I know, like there are mouths falling open right now, right? Some of our students are like, what? Yes, I dipped them in wax, set them up on a post and burned them like a candle. Um, that was supposed to be an exhibition to say, if you're a Christian, you might be a candle too. And it was to show them that this is the danger of being a Christian in this time and in this place. Let me tell you that, that you think you have a God. You think you have somebody who has rescued you. And you think that you have somebody you can serve. Well, you better serve Caesar and Caesar alone. The emperor of Rome, that's the one that you serve. You don't serve some other God or else we'll dip you in wax and burn you like a candle. Some of the other things they used to do. Uh, everybody knows about gladiators and all that kind of cool stuff you watch on, on TV, right? And all the movies, gladiator movies, and they're all ripped up, you know, and they got shields and stuff, and it's really awesome to watch because they kill, like, lions with swords and stuff and spears, and it's really cool to watch. Well, one of the things that they would do that they found was really interesting is they would take Christians alive, and they would sew them up in animal skins and make a bag, and they would sew them up in the animal skins, and then they would let... In front of an entire audience of people, they would let wild animals attack these bags and just rip them apart and rip the Christians apart that were inside those bags as well. So when I say that it was a hard time to be a Christian, I mean it was a real hard time to be a Christian and a real harsh place to be a Christian. 
I know that sometimes we think it's tough, you know, like when we're sitting around the lunch table and, uh, and, and something spiritual comes up and people start talking about Jesus, they go, hey, aren't you a Christian? And then you're like, oh no, here's the time when everybody starts treating me weird, right? Yes, I'm a Christian. Well, I bet you know the answer to this Bible question. And then you're like, oh no, I didn't study that part, I bet. And you start freaking out a little bit. And, and this, this is the worst persecution we come under, really. That, that's about the worst we come under, feeling awkward. Which I know to a teenager, that may be worse than being sewn up in an animal skin. But, but like, feeling awkward, like that, that's, that's as bad as it gets for us. Or, or, or maybe people kind of look down on us and, and maybe they don't like a particular church or denomination or whatever. So that's as bad as persecution gets for us. But for these people, persecution was life and death. So, so when you hear the words, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that has a whole different meaning to these people, an entirely different meaning. Because you, you could even believe something in your heart, but if you didn't confess it with your mouth, that means you were keeping it inside. I mean, you were putting your life on the line. And if you weren't so committed to being a Christ follower that you were able to confess it with your mouth then you weren't really a Christ follower. You, you, you weren't really somebody who was committed to the cause of Christ and helping to other people to understand the cause of Christ. And so when I, I look at the book of Romans, this is what I see, man. I don't, I don't see just a bunch of people sitting around in a church like us and they're like hanging out and things are good and you know we just grilled out and man, we're having a good time, we're gonna shoot fireworks. That's not what it was like for the Roman church. I think that it's great that we get to do things like that, and I think it's great that we get to fellowship like that, but let me tell you something, man. Christianity is so much deeper than, than, than this. It is so incredibly deep, and when you think about the day and the time when Christianity was just first coming into existence, it was harsh, really harsh. And here Paul is talking to the Roman church, and he's trying to tell them some of these basic truths about being a Christian, Really, I mean, if you look at, at what Romans is basically telling you, is that you look through all of these things, you look at the, the harsh judgment that comes from God and the fact that you are a, a sinner separated from God and the punishment of that, which is to being in an eternal hell separated from God for all of eternity. You see that and then you see the redemptive power through grace and through the power of Jesus Christ and on the cross and the sacrifice that was made for all of us. And you see that beauty in there. And here we find ourselves in Romans chapter 8. And, and this is kind of where we're going to be today. And I think there are a lot of people, they kind of get that they're sinful, right? They kind of get that. I think everybody knows we kind of get that. And, and we understand, I mean, if you're a Christian, you understand the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what happened on the cross and the fact that that was for you individually. But there are still a lot of Christians that are held captive, that are held captive. And, 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 and that, that being held captive is not something that, that, that God did. It is something that we do. It's something we put on ourselves. It's something that, that, that we, God has opened the door, and we've talked about this numerous times before in Simple Church. God has opened the door. The, 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 the jail cell is unlocked, and the door's open, and, and we go out, and we experience the freedom of Christ, and then we, 
what do we do? So many times we, we put ourselves back in the jail cell, even with the door standing wide open, because that's a place of comfort for us. So we go back into jail. We stay, uh, we stay chained down because we're the, one, we're the ones that go back into the cells and we, we put the handcuffs on ourselves, even though we've been set free like we just sang about. There's a certain amount of freedom that we take away from ourselves. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. This being free, this idea of being free, what does that really look like? And, and Paul starts talking to them about the Spirit, life in the Spirit. And I love the way that he starts off Romans chapter 8. Now, Jameson talk, touched on this. Not long ago, and he, he, he touched on Romans chapter 8, but I kind of want to dig into Romans chapter 8 here. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who, are in Christ, who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to, to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin, of sin that leads to death. So here, what he says, he said, hey, good news, Christian. Good news, Christ follower. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, that is great news for all of us. If you belong to Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. Now, what does condemnation mean? To condemn something, to put down, to oppress, to suppress. And even so far as to be cut off from God. That kind of, but for those that belong to Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no putting down. There is no suppression there is only freedom. It says there's no condemnation. You are not condemned to hell. You are set free from, from the thing that is the worst torment of all, and that is to be separated from God. You've been set free from that. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So here, what happens is God saves you, he, recognize, he, he, he receives you into his kingdom, and you have this life-giving spirit inside of you. Now, every time you start talking about spirits or the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, everybody gets all nervous, right? Like, like the whole, you say the word Holy Ghost, and people go like, oh, no, here we go, you know? But the reality is, is that this spirit of God, he's part of the Trinity, right? We understand the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We say that a lot, but do we get it? God existing as three in one. This is, this is God. He is a spirit, but he is a he. He is a, a, a person, a being, an actual thing. He's a part of the Trinity. It, it, it's hard to explain the Trinity, right? He's one of the three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here we've got the Spirit who is life-giving, has set us free from the power of sin and death. The power of sin and death. Now, see, we, we really embrace that death part. We really embrace the second part. He's given us the power over death. And, and when we talk about death, we're talking about an eternal death, and that is to be separated from God, this hell that we talked about. But here he's saying not only that, but the sin. The sin. This is where Christians really struggle. We love the fact that we are rescued from an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. And I, I am so thankful for that. But I am also thankful for the fact that God gives me power over sin through his Holy Spirit. 
I think that we walk around sometimes so crippled, so locked in our own jail cell, not recognizing that God has given us this life-giving spirit inside of us that has given us power over sin, that sin doesn't hold us captive anymore. Sin sin, Sin is not, it doesn't lord over you anymore. Unless you let it. Unless you let it, right? Uh, you, you, can, you can be a Christian and sin does not have any power over you, but you can still let sin have power over you. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because I, I think that you recognize that sin is powerful. Am I right? The more that you get, the more that you want. Uh, the more that you have, the worse it gets. It's like, it's like just compounding on top of each other over and over again. And here, what Paul is saying is that this life-giving spirit has given you power, uh, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. So So what is God's righteous requirement, right? God's righteous requirement is that we be perfect. That's his standard. If you want to be with God, you got to be like God. To be like God, you have to be perfect. Is there anybody in here that actually meets that standard? I would love to shake your hand and actually hear what you have to say if you're perfectly righteous. But we're not. None of us are. He wouldn't be a righteous God if he didn't deal with sin. He wouldn't be a righteous God if he just said, you know what? I know that you murdered somebody, but it's okay. I, I, I know that you raped somebody, but it's okay. I know that you did this, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's not the way that it works. See, sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be paid for. This flesh that we live in is sinful flesh, and, and the sinful flesh had to be dealt with in some way. There had to be some way to deal with the fact that, that we're broken and messed up people. Think about the Garden of Eden, for example. Just a simple example. Everybody knows the Garden of Eden, right? And like, there's only like one rule. There's only one rule. You would think with just one rule that we could just adhere to that, right? Surely we can get away with just adhering to one rule. God only said one. We're in paradise. Total paradise. We don't even have to, we don't have to look for food, nothing. We get to walk with God like, I mean, it, it's perfect, and there's one rule, and we can't follow it. And let me tell you something. If it wasn't Adam and Eve, if it was you and your wife, it'd have been the same way. It'd have been the same way. Why? Because our flesh is like that. Our flesh has a desire to rebel against God, and we'll talk about that. I'm not sure how far we'll get in this particular passage because there's so much, but we have this natural desire to rebel against God. Even though God made us the way that he made us, he, he made us with this, this choice that we have, man, to choose good versus bad. And here, one rule, and we couldn't keep one rule. Think about this. Think about the Ten Commandments. What's the first Ten Commandments? Put no other gods before me, right? Let me ask you this question. Think about today. All you got to think about is today. You don't have to go back a week. You don't have to go back two weeks. All you have to do is think about today. Is there something that happened today where you felt like God would want me to do this, but I did this instead? 
Is there something in your life where you said, I know what God's rule says to do this. I know how God really wants me to do this, but instead I did this over here. Has that happened to you today? It probably has. The instant you do that, you're putting yourself over God and you are becoming your own God. And you have put yourself as a God above the one true God. You do that every day. I do that every day. There'll be so many times in my life where I say, I know what I'm really supposed to do, but I do this instead. And we, we think about things like stealing. Thou shalt not steal. Okay, that's pretty cool. I don't, I don't steal anything. I don't go to Walmart. I'm not a kleptomaniac. I don't go and grab stuff and stick it in my pockets, you know? Maybe. For some of you, maybe you do. I don't know. But think about this. Think about, and I brought this up before, and man, it, it like convicted some people. How about when you're at work and you print something out, but it's not for work? Is that stealing? Absolutely it is. When you're at school and you're supposed to be using school stuff for school work, but you use it for something else, are you stealing? Sure it is. What about this one? This one, this one always gets people when I bring up this one. In particular, those of you that go to Disney like I do. You got a 13-year-old kid, but the prices are for 12 and under. Ultra call, let's do it. No. <laughs> I, I, I've had this discussion in my own family, okay? Now, I'll confess my sin before you and say we've done such a thing, okay? So you're not alone in that, but it ain't right, okay? But I'm just saying, like, if a 12 and under ticket's $50 and an adult ticket is $100, for you to take advantage of that and say your 13-year-old is 12 and under, that is the same, and I have, I have said this in my own family, that is the same as you walking up and taking $50 out of the register. Is it not? If it, if it ain't, pray about that and see if I ain't right. Pray about that and see if God's not saying, yeah, that's exactly the same. It's, it's exactly the same as going and taking $50 out of the register and sticking it in your pocket, which you would feel bad about. But instead, we justify our sins and we say, ah, it's just a little white lie. It's not really stealing. The reality is you can't do anything but sin. Even when you try to do good, you sin. You, you do things that you think are good. You do things that you think, man, I'm doing something good for somebody, but the whole time you got selfish motivation and you want them to recognize you for what you did and pat you on the back and say you did a good job, and the whole time you're trying to get glory for yourself instead of glory for God. I know this because I'm that way too. I'm that way too. I, I, I stand up here and I say, man, I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm doing this because I want God to be glorified. But I have to wage war against that piece of me inside myself that says, man, I really want people to like me. I really want people to like the way that I speak. I really want people to, to like the messages I preach. For me? For me? No, it's for God. See, what happens is I'm so dumb. I just keep, I just keep doing this, put myself above God and become my own God. And even when it comes to things like murder, or adultery, Jesus settles that for us. 
Jesus says this. He says, you think you hadn't committed murder, right? He says, you ever hated somebody? He says, murder is the same as hate. The only difference is how you act it out. The only difference is the outward expression of it. He says, you think you had never murdered anybody? You're wrong. He says, you, you think you've never committed adultery? You think you've never committed adultery? Have you ever looked at somebody else with lustful eyes? He says, you've committed adultery. The only difference is the outward expression of it. In your heart, when I say that all we can do is sin, I'm telling you, all we can do is sin. And the righteous requirement of the law, according to God, is perfection. And we can't do anything but sin. So God did something we couldn't do. See, it's not like we could take care of that. It's not like we, we, could, we could somehow ourselves be able to deal with this unrighteousness that exists within us. It's not like something we could do to fix it all. Because we have sinful flesh. As soon as we go to try to fix it all, we're going to just mess that up too. In our efforts to try to fix it all, we would just mess it up worse. We're, we're going we're, to, us and our sinful flesh are going to fix the problem that we have sinful flesh. That doesn't even make sense. And there are other religions out there that are telling you all day long that, man, you can achieve enlightenment, you can get to the next level. If you, if you pray enough, fast enough, if you focus enough on something else that you can uh, obtain a level where you are like God, and I'm like, not in this body. I know what this body's like. I think about meditation. I'd be like, man, I'd sit, I'd sit down to meditate, and it wouldn't take me 20 minutes, and I'd be sinning left and right by all the things that run through my brain. And yet, me, I'm going to be able to take care of this? No, not a chance. Not a chance. Instead, God did it. You know how he did it? It says right here. He says, So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. So it had to be dealt with in the flesh. So God was going to deal with this problem of righteousness in the flesh. So he had to send his son as flesh. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. You see, what, what God did through his son is he said, I'm going to take this flesh, this flesh that is so riddled with hatred towards me, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it. And what it made it more amazing than that is Jesus, he had met the righteous requirements of the law. He never sinned because he was God and he was in the flesh at the same time. But the only difference is he never sinned. He never succumbed to the flesh like we do every single day and every single breath that we have. He did it exactly perfectly. And yet, God said, he's perfect, kill him for all of us. He says, I want to set them free. My son has to die. And, and he loved his son. My son loved the father. And, and there was a relationship there. And early in the morning, and, 
and late at the evening, Jesus would go to be alone with his father. You know, he'd just go alone and talk to him and pray to him. And he had this deep connected relationship with his father and he never sinned. And God looked at all of us. He says, I got to kill him for all of you. Because you can't deal with your flesh and your sin flesh. I have to. And it has to be on someone who has never sinned. And it has to be my son. So God did what we could not do. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Now this is where it gets good. He did that for us who no longer follow the sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. Oh, he did that to set us free. He, he, he did a, that to set us free from the sinful nature. He, he, he killed the sin, in the, or the, the sin in the flesh. He did that to set us free. He said, so that you could live by the Spirit. You see, God in his three persons said that, that not only is the father got to enact vengeance on his son for all of our sins, he says, but I'm going to give you a part of myself to live within you to remind you of the fact that you're free. To remind you of the fact that you're free. And, and, and the Holy Spirit of God is personal. He is personal. It is not personal. He is personal. You understand that we refer to him as he. He is personal. And, and he's, he's close to you. He's right there. He's, he's, he's within no further than you. And, and David Crowder puts it this way. He's no further than the center of my chest. And he's there to walk with us and, and remind us that we have been set free. To remind us of what Jesus did. Remind us of how God set us free and that we are no longer captive to that sinful nature. So we live by the Spirit. Listen to what happens. I'm not going to go too far tonight, even though I could go on and on and on. For those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. Oh, now, there is a word that jumps out of the page here for me. I told you I have words that's just like, I'm reading along, it's like, boom, boom. You know, like in bold letters. Not the red ones necessarily, but sometimes there are things that just, it looks like they're in bold to me. Do you know what it is in this particular passage right here? In this sentence, do you know what it is that jumps out at me? The word think. Think. Think about all sin. Every sin begins with a thought. Every single sin that you commit begins with a thought. Now, you may act it out, but it begins with a thought. And here he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. So if you are dominated by that sinful nature, if you are controlled by that sinful nature, you won't do anything but think about sinful things. That'll just be the way that you are. He says, but those who are controlled by the Spirit, they think about things that are pleasing to the Spirit. 
So in your lives, in my life, as I'm thinking about how to, to deal with things and how to deal with sin and how to, how, how, to, how to struggle against sin, because I know that every one of us do, and I know every one of us hate it, and we don't want to be that way, but, but we struggle against sin. Do you know where it starts? Do you know where the first place it starts? It starts in how we think. It starts in how we think. We need to think differently. Instead of thinking about the sin having power over us, we need to think about how the sin does not have power over us. 